The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. So, to what do I owe this honor? I came to tell you that I know who you are. Who you really are. I suppose on its face it was a good plan. Destroy Prometheus so that you could put your own space station in its place. Then not only would you make billions from the patents of the vaccines developed, but you would also be the supposed savior of the space program. You are also responsible for the deaths of at least three people. Commander Latterman, Samuel Platt, Dr. Baines. Those probably aren't the only skeletons in your closet. So you become both my judge and executioner? Like any other citizen of the planet, I must obey the law. I am not above it. You, it seems, believe you are. I hold a certain position in the city. Yes, and there is nothing that would please me more than to see you dethroned and behind bars like any common criminal. That day will come. Welcome everyone. It is Thursday, October 14th, 2021. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing, it's just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. It's really remarkable how many villains portrayed in popular TV shows and movies were actually involved in vaccine development and positioned themselves as potential saviors of the planet. Our opener today was from the 90s television series Lois and Clark, and that was Superman confronting his nemesis, Lex Luthor, who murdered several people in his attempt to corner the market via exclusive vaccine patents and through crony politics. And just as Superman declared that I know who you are in identifying his real enemy, so too when it comes to the continual lockdowns and mandated vaccine passports, the big question we should be asking is just who are the groups and individuals responsible for what is proving to be the greatest crime perpetrated on humanity? And can we bring them to justice? Those are just a few of the questions we'll attempt to answer right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform, and visit us at justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right social media links and our archive broadcasts. And you know, as always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. I wasn't really sure how to kick off today's show, given that our theme demands that in order to understand the COVID pandemic, we look beyond the immediate COVID pandemic. And then, just out of the blue, I checked into Polly St. George's amazing Polly site on October 4th, and she kicked off her show on that day with exactly what I was thinking. I don't know how much longer I can stand watching well-educated Canadian people who have gained a following here and there say things like, why would the public health authorities make this rule about vaccines? It makes no sense. Why, when their own data shows that blah, 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 would they do X, Y, Z? 
I'm really, 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 really sick of it because they will not look at the answer. The answer is that predatory vaccine companies, pharmacy companies, pharmaceutical companies, and philanthropists, philanthrocapitalists, eugenicists that are obsessed with population reduction are running the entire global health paradigm. They've captured all the agencies. If they aren't blackmailing people, they've brainwashed people. This is just the facts. And for these smart, educated medical professionals who've gained a voice in this whole thing, to keep running around this same hamster wheel for since the beginning of the pandemic without looking at the players involved ever, it's making me insane. It's making me mistrust even the doctors who are on our own side, quote unquote, on our own side, because either they are stupid or they're in on it at this point. I can't take it anymore. All right. I tried to bring their attention to the Brighton collaboration scam because now the Brighton collaboration is actually run by CEPI and CEPI is actually run by six pharmaceutical companies. CEPI. CEPI is the Brighton Collaboration. The Brighton Collaboration are the ones who set the global standards for how to assess an adverse vaccine reaction. Okay? This, this is mega huge. It, these fools just want to keep talking about case counts based on the phony PCR test. <laughs> Come on. All right. I know exactly how she feels. I've been feeling like that for months. And I've been keeping a close eye on anyone I've seen who might fall into this category. But, you know, I really haven't seen anything yet that would cause me to not trust the doctors speaking out publicly and repeating the medical facts that listeners to this show have probably known since practically the beginning of this whole so-called pandemic. I think I'll be able to present an example or two of what I mean later in the show. I think that part of our frustration comes from the fact that the process of creating mass awareness occurs on several levels, all operating simultaneously, with different people waking up at radically different times. Those of us who know the most, who are most informed about the facts, who have done our own research and reasonably drawn the correct conclusions about the big picture of the whole COVID thing, are also the most frustrated when constantly confronted by people who don't even know there's any problem to be concerned about. They're still out there. There are many levels of awareness and complete unawareness simultaneously coexisting with each other when it comes to the COVID crisis. There are still those who have no idea whatsoever what's going on and who believe that there is a real viral pandemic that requires vaccination to protect oneself against it. There are those who are only recently discovering that the vaccines themselves are both the objective and a source of the ongoing viral spread. And of course there are those who know that the whole COVID pandemic is political in nature, having nothing to do with health care, but with creating a health scare to push a greater agenda broadly known as Agenda 21 and other related names like the Great Reset, Build Back Better, and other nightmarish scenarios intended to reduce the human population of the world. 
you know, a goal certainly inconsistent with any regard for or concern with saving lives or curing diseases. And there are those who are predicting that a concurrent Agenda 21 strategy is all about artificial intelligence, transhumanism, 5G technologies, biocontrol of individuals, areas that seem to most the rabbit hole you don't want to go down, but that I fear we may be forced to go down one day ourselves. But for now, let's focus on the next planned crisis already being announced by the crisis creators. And once you understand the intimate and integrated connection between that crisis and COVID, you will also begin to see the forces behind all of these COVID agendas and objectives. Remember climate change? It's back! And here's Laura Ingram from Fox News back on May 20th warning us about what to expect. Now, for many years now, uh, Democrats want control over almost every aspect of your life. We can't uh, drive our SUVs and, you know, eat as much as we want and keep our homes on, you know, 72 degrees at all times. Can't do any of those things, he said back in 2008. And all these years later, we see Obama's heirs carrying on his mission control. We have to take the take combustion engine vehicles off the road as rapidly as we can. So the Greeniac saw an opening when the global economy due to COVID cratered last year. Because of the lockdowns, closures and reduced demand, carbon emissions fell by about 2.6 billion metric tons, which was a 7% drop from the year prior. Climate change activists who ignored or dismissed the human suffering caused by these draconian COVID rules were positively giddy. So they saw COVID as an opportunity to advance the interests of a global climate bureaucracy. But after some fits and starts, we won the COVID debate. Their so-called public health experts were wrong on everything from lockdowns to masks to social distancing. Yet now we see the usual suspects lining up to exploit another hyped crisis. Of course, I'm talking about climate change. And the end goal is the same. They want more of your money and your freedom. And if they have to take extreme measures to accomplish this, oh, they will, unless we're ready for them. So if we apply the lessons learned in our battle against the COVID lockdowns, I'm confident we can stop them and we can win this. Now, if you think the forces propping up Biden aren't thinking about declaring a climate emergency in some form during his first term, you haven't been paying close attention. Wow, how coincidental that Canada's Prime Minister Trudeau has already been hinting at climate change emergency measures over the coming months ahead here in Canada. What both climate change and, you know, eradicating viruses have in common is that both are beyond our capabilities to really do anything about, and neither require our doing anything about them. That is exactly what makes them perfect issues to push an agenda of outright tyranny. Looking back on the frustration experienced by Polly St. George about the COVID conspiracy, I experienced the same frustration and reaction to people who keep taking climate change seriously as something that needs to be stopped. Why? Whoever thought of that? It is an irrational goal that perfectly mirrors or parallels the irrational goal being pursued under the COVID campaign. Irrational, that is, if you take the stated goals seriously. Not so crazy 
when you begin to understand why and how these issues relate to one another. So how have these two seemingly unrelated issues become so entangled? Well, that's because both issues are being pursued by the same people and the same interests. And towards identifying who they are and what their true interests are, I offer our upcoming audio bite, which was brought to my attention recently by Paul McKeever, Freedom Party of Ontario leader and occasional guest or co-host of this show. It was a speech delivered by Anne Bressington, an Australian politician at the Adelaide Convention Centre as part of the Lord Moncton launch, and it was chilling to say the least. What made it particularly disturbing was the fact that it was delivered on February 2nd, 2013, a good eight and a half years ago. What was a prediction then is now becoming our reality. Ladies and gentlemen, the origins of the environmental movement as we see it began back in 1968 when the Club of Rome was formed. The Club of Rome has been described as a crisis think tank which specialises in crisis creation. The main purpose of this think tank was to formulate a crisis that would unite the world and condition us to the idea of global solutions to local problems. In a document called The First Global Revolution, authored by Alexander King and Bertrand Schneider, on pages 104 and 105, it stated, In searching for a new enemy to unite us, we came up with the idea that pollution, the threat of global warming, water shortages, famine and the like would fit the bill. All these dangers, of course, will be caused by human intervention that will require a global response. That's the origin of global warming, ladies and gentlemen. In 1992, former President of the United States, George Bush Senior said, effective execution of Agenda 21 will require a profound reorientation of human society, unlike anything the world has ever experienced. A major shift in the priorities of both governments and individuals, and an unprecedented redeployment of human and financial resources. This shift will demand that a, a concern for the environmental consequences of every human action will be integrated into individual and collective decision-making at every level. Cutting through the code, I want everyone to consider what the words profound reorientation of all human society and unprecedented redeployment of human and financial resources actually means. For everyone here tonight not familiar with Agenda 21, I would suggest that this is the beginning of your learning curve, not the end. In 1992, Morris Strong, Secretary General of the UN Earth Summit, and member of the Club of Rome said, it is clear that current lifestyles and consumption patterns of the affluent middle class involving high meat intake, consumption of large amounts of frozen and convenience foods, use of fossil fuels, ownership of motor vehicles, small electrical appliances, home and workplace air conditioning and suburban housing are not sustainable. Put those statements together with the previous one and it must become clear that Agenda 21 is about controlling every aspect of our lives. How we eat, what we eat, how much we eat, how we move around, food production, the amount of food and where we even live. 
Dixie Ray, former Washington State Governor and Assistant Secretary for Oceans and International Environmental and Scientific Affairs, stated, Agenda 21 seeks to establish a mechanism for transferring the wealth from citizens to the third world. Fear of environmental crisis would be used to create a world government and UN central direction. From a report in the 1976 UN's Habitat One conference, land cannot be treated as an ordinary asset controlled by individuals and subject to the pressures and inefficiencies of the market. Private land ownership is also a principal instrument of accumulation and concentration of wealth, therefore contributes to social injustice. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, if you work hard and you exercise good financial management and invest in property, you are contributing to social injustice. In a report from the President's Council on Sustainable Development, we need a new collaborative decision process that leads to better decisions, more rapid change and more sensible use of human, natural and financial resources in achieving our goals. And at the same time, Harvey, Harvey Reuven, Vice Chair of the Wildlands Project says, individual rights will have to take a back seat to the collective. J. Gary Lawrence, advisor to President Clinton's Council on Sustainable Development. Participating in a UN-advocated planning process would very likely bring out many of the conspiracy fixated groups and individuals in our society, and here we are. This segment of our society, who fear one world government and UN invasion, through which our individual freedoms will be stripped away, would actively work to defeat any elected official who joined the conspiracy by undertaking Agenda 21. So we will call our process something else. We will call it comprehensive planning or growth management or smart growth. We ended up with sustainable development. This government has been working overtime to take away our rights to common law through many pieces of legislation. Common law is what guarantees us an ability to correct injustices. This coming year, I promise you, you will also hear debate over a number of pieces of legislation that will further erode our common law rights. And you have to get behind me on this, ladies and gentlemen, to stop this from going through. As Agenda 21 became more and more apparent to me, I began using the line in Parliament, the government was now declaring war on its own citizens. And that goes back as far as 2008. This of course led me to being labelled a conspiracy theorist. But here we are now, openly talking about Agenda 21 and the ramifications we will see in a short period of time if this is not stopped in its tracks. Remember, on most of these policies that I've spoken about here today, there has been bipartisan support for everything that has gone through. When the major parties join together, then the crossbenchers and minor parties, uh, basically our vote is null and void. 
The way to avoid that is to make sure that when the major parties do join together, they don't have the numbers. For way too long now, we the people have been asleep at the wheel and it is time to wake up and participate in the democratic process. And to do that, you need to understand the parliamentary and political system that you are trying to rein in. In 1972, the Club of Rome published the alarmist limits to growth document, warning of worldwide overpopulation, the need for sustainable development. This was the beginning of the slow process of social engineering and programming people to accept that the planet is struggling to sustain life. On the 8th of October 1973, the New York Times reported a quote from Ted Turner, also Club of Rome, the social experiment in China under Chairman Mao, under Chairman Mao's leadership, is one of the most important and successful in human history. In 1987, Mikhail Gorbachev, also a member of Club of Rome, said, we are moving toward a new world order, the world of communism, and we shall never turn off that road. He also quoted in 1996 Monetary and Economic Review on page five, the environmental crisis will be the international disaster that will unlock the new world order one world government. In 1992 came the Earth Summit, which produced the document called the Earth Charter. This document was co-written by Morris Strong, long-time globalist, elitist, member of Club of Rome, and Mikhail Gorbachev. Both Strong and Gorbachev stated that it was hoped that this document would be adopted as the new Ten Commandments. With, the environmental, with environmentalism as the new one world religion. Out of this summit came Agenda 21. Ted Turner, who was also a member of the Club of Rome, was quoted as saying in 1996, the total population of 250 to 300 million people is ideal. That means a reduction of 95% from present levels would be even more ideal. Anyone who abhors the China one-child policy is simply a dum-dum. In 1998, the Baltimore Sun reported on July the 7th, most of Ted Turner's first donation to the UN of 22 million went to programs that seek to stall population. Another goal of the depopulation process is that the upcoming generation will submit to sterilization to save Mother Earth. And bang, there it is. And guess what? It's now 2021, the very year and generation targeted by Agenda 21 and the sterilization process by vaccination is already underway. Notice exactly how that was worded. The upcoming generation will submit, quote unquote. And submission is exactly what the whole government organized terrorist campaign has been all about. Wearing masks is the visible sign of that submission. It is not a health measure and is in and of itself unhealthy. The sterilization is being delivered via the mandated injections, administered not under any form of informed consent, but through submission, threatening people with losing their jobs and freedoms unless they submit. This coming weekend, in fact, represents a deadline, pardon the intended pun, for many people in the professional fields and those working for the government to submit to their political masters, no longer representatives in any imaginable way, by taking an injection that has only been proven to be a threat to everyone's life and health. 
an injection that does nothing with regard to COVID. And the fact that all of these criminal actions are happening on a global scale attests to the fact that we are already living under globalism. And without even getting into any of Agenda 21's you'll own nothing and be happy oxymoronic ideology, it's pretty clear that both climate change and COVID-19 are integral parts of that same agenda. Now that 2013 speech by Australian MP Anne Bressington was interestingly part of an event called the Lord Moncton launch. And what makes that doubly interesting for me is that Lord Christopher Moncton was a guest on Just Right and that Agenda 21 was covered in detail by him in an April 2nd Just Right YouTube presentation called Agenda 21 and Environmental Marxism. For those who aren't aware, Lord Monckton was one of Margaret Thatcher's key advisors during her leadership as Britain's Prime Minister. And in particular, he was the guy responsible for exposing the global warming scam. Here's a sample of what he had to say back in 2012 on the topic of global warming. How much global warming will we get and how will we tell whether that's us or something else? The fact is that until thousands of years have passed, we won't know if you believe the official analysis of the IPCC because they say that the global warming we trigger now will not be complete for 3,000 years. So not all of it will happen within our lifetimes anyway. But then it's very difficult to distinguish, in fact it's impossible uh, in, the, in the state of science now, to distinguish between warming caused by a natural recovery from the Little Ice Age. That recovery began in 1695, and it's been going on at various rates ever since. How can we tell whether that natural recovery of temperatures has stopped, and uh, we're now getting something additional caused by us? Well, one possible metric might be to say, was there a medieval warm period? And was it warmer than today? Well, something like 1,200 scientists from more than 600 institutions in 44 countries have contributed to papers over the last 25 years providing evidence from the paleoclimate record, from everything from sediments to stalagmites to ice cores to uh, boreholes and various other ways, that the medieval warm period was real, was global, and was warmer than the present. If they are right, then today's temperatures are not exceptional, in which case it's very hard to say that at the moment we can discern any human influence on global climate at all. And that was the original conclusion of the 1995 IPCC report, as submitted by the scientists. For the second time they said we can't actually distinguish a human signature at all. Now the bureaucrats took one look and said we can't have this. This is unacceptable. They'll close us down if we're saying for the second time that we're not having any influence on the climate. So they got one scientist to rewrite it. And all five references to the statement that we couldn't discern a human influence on global climate were taken out. 200 consequential amendments were also made. And a single new statement was inserted, which says uh, it is now clear that there is a discernible human influence on global climate. The precise opposite of what the scientists who had written and submitted the final document had said. Bottom line, there is no problem with the climate. Even if there were, it would be cheaper and more cost-effective by hundreds of times over to do nothing about it than to pursue the present mad policies to try to forestall it. And therefore the best policy to address the non-problem of the climate is to have the courage to do nothing. 
Sounds like a working plan to me. <laughs> Sign me up right now. We'll be hearing a bit more from Christopher Monkton again as our show progresses. But before we do, let's not forget the other Agenda 21 issue that we should do nothing about. The COVID agenda. Dr. Vladimir Zelenko is a family doctor from upstate New York. He's been battling against COVID-19 cases longer than just about any physician in the country. All the way back in March of 2020, he developed a treatment protocol, and he says he was nearly 100% effective in treating high-risk COVID-19 patients. So we're told endlessly that the COVID-19 vaccine is amazing, and it's safe, and it's perfect. Well, the vaccine program, this entire farce, of a pandemic and then the vaccine response is part of a eugenics program to reduce the world population from the useless eaters. Sorry to put it this way, but uh, and it's not a theory. It's a conspiracy to commit genocide in the human race by using this vaccine as one of the ways to do it, but it's just not a theory. I mean, again, keep in mind, these vaccines serve no purpose, no medical purpose for sure. They are not medically necessary. And according to Dr. Michael Yudin, these vaccines have a 100 to 1 kill ratio compared to the actual virus. Right away, they cause blood clots, myocarditis, damage to hearts, uh, miscarriages, increases in cancer, increases in autoimmune diseases, affects ovarian function, and there's a concern of antibody-dependent enhancement which could be potentially genocidal. For what? For a disease that we could easily manage with antiviral drugs. So what's really going on here is a coordinated, but it's coordinated on such a high level that whoever is able to pull this off has control over different industries. They control media, both social and mainstream. They control politics, they control academia, and they control industry because you needed the coordination of all these huge industries to be able to pull off what has been done. And there's very few people who are able to, to be stakeholders in such major industries, enough at least to control and manipulate them. The list is not long. Why don't people understand it? Why don't people see this? And I know that your expertise is in medicine, but if you, if you would like to opine, I mean, I'd be interested to know, what is it that's keeping the media from reporting over 15,000 deaths by the CDC's own website? Well, that's an easy one to answer. The media is just prostitutes uh, for the same people that are orchestrating all this. That's not the, the question. The question is, why is the individual human being who's capable of consciousness and free choice not seeing simple reality? not seeing the tyranny being gradually brought into their lives and them welcoming it with a smile. That's a much deeper question. And the answer is that this is several generations in the making of this demoralization of our society, where we are, especially in academia, where we don't teach how to think. It's not about uh, giving someone skills of analysis or deductive reasoning. Uh, or challenging their intellectual capabilities. No, it's about indoctrination. So that our higher educational system has purposely taken away from our future leadership the ability to, to think, but instilled this robotic ability to follow. 
Do you see any way possible to stop this dead in its tracks right now? Absolutely. And, and, but you have to realize that it begins with you because the tool here is the psychological, it's imaginary. You're going to die. You're, uh, something bad is going to happen to you. Let me tell you, you are going to die. You begin to die from the day you're born. Okay, we just don't know exactly when that day will be. So stop worrying about things you can't control. Okay, in other words, the fear about things you cannot control is, is enslaving you right now. The dark winter is also probably combined and is completed. It's, it's a picture that is easily created by Fauci and his godless communist allies by restricting certain treatments that are available for this virus, whatever this chimerically engineered bioweapon is. And we have found, you have found, studies have found, and real experience has proven that things like ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, zinc, quercetin, vitamin D, that these things work if they're used early on. They can be used as prophylactically. They can be used for treatment itself, and they have restricted these things. Uh, speak to the demonization of the treatment and what you, have, what you have seen with the introduction of remdesivir and the taking away of and the media demonization of the ivermectin, the hydroxychloroquine, and all the others that I just mentioned. You know, when President Trump announced that he wants every single American to have access to hydroxychloroquine, um, he gave that task over to Secretary Azar. Secretary Azar eventually got it to Rick Bright from, um, he, he was the head of BARDA. Rick Bright uh, was given the task of making hydroxychloroquine available to every single American. Um, and he was supposed to use the right to try legislation to do that. In other words, there was a mechanism in place to make this drug available to every single American. And that's what the president wanted. And he wanted it in part because I sent him a letter telling him the wonders of what's going on and how people are getting better immediately. And when he said he's taking hydroxychloroquine uh, himself, he referenced that letter. What well, I'm trying, just trying to tell you that I was involved in the very, very beginning process. So I have a perspective that most people don't. And so, so these are Rick Bright's own words. He was tasked, and he's a very important person, tasked to make life-saving medication available to every single American and then actually the whole world because everyone follows what America does. And so, you know, what he said, this is on camera, he himself admits to it, that he didn't agree with the president's order. So him and his team in Barda came up with a creative solution, not to make a hydroxychloroquine available to everyone, but to limit it. And they issued an emergency use authorization for only hospitalized patients. So what that did, that sent a message, including to myself, I remember when it came out, that we're not allowed to use hydroxychloroquine in outside of the hospital. That was the exact opposite of the intent of the, what the president of the United States wanted to do. And that single change was responsible for the direct, and I use the word direct, death and slaughter of a half a million Americans. We just witnessed the mechanics of genocide. I had no idea that President Trump wanted to make hydroxychloroquine available to everybody by emergency use authorization, and that he had given the directive to his staff to make that happen, 
and that they had acted in direct opposition to what his wishes were, which led to 500,000 dead people here in this country. It's a matter of public record. Everything I said is verifiable in the words of the people that said it. In the minds of the people that have orchestrated this, they view the world from a, um, a perspective where life does not have sanctity. If life doesn't have sanctity, then how do you value, how do you create a value structure in society? And they believe that the most intellectual, smartest, adept, uh, have the best genetic gene pool, you could say, those are the ones that are, should be on top of the dominant hierarchy. And that's what they've done. They've created now a system where it's the, the super elite and the rest of us who are have two purposes. One is to serve the super elite. This sounds crazy, except that that's what the Nazis did 80 years ago. They declared themselves uh, descendants of Nordic gods, the Aryan race, superhumans. And then the Europeans were humans meant to be enslaved, and the Jews and the Slavs and others were meant to be turned into vapor after they're gassed because they were subhuman. The same thing is going on now. What do you see as the future with all of this? Um, I have such a weird sense of optimism. <laughs> I know it just doesn't make sense, it's counterintuitive, but. There, there's something I feel that things are boiling and that we're maybe a little bumpy and turbulent, what's going to happen, but the end result will be uh, a world of more revealed truth, that the veil of falsehood, the false narrative, the, uh, all this rhetoric that we've been fed for generations now through uh, media, um, all the lies and the, the evil that's lying dormant in that will be exposed and just go away. I think then we will live in a, in a much brighter world. But that's a war. You know, it's uh, <laughs> forces of evil don't uh, want to go away on their own. But they, they sense that they're, they're cornered, like cornered animals. Right now. They have dug in, especially the orchestrators of this uh, attempt of global subjugation by releasing a, a bioweapon to scare everyone to take a poison death shot. I think that the orchestrators of that are nervous that, uh, you know, like uh, in World War II in Nazi Germany, there were, uh, where Hitler was in his bunker as with his inner generals, and as the whole uh, armies against the Germany were approaching and they you know, it was, the end was imminent. So um, I think that that's what these animals, these uh, devolved pagans that I call them, who orchestrated all this, are, in my opinion, feeling. They know that they've been caught. They know that they're exposed. They know that too many people are aware of what is actually planned, what is actually happening here. Too many people are witnessing it. And the bravery of these people... I think is shocking to them. And I don't think that people anticipated that there would be the strength and unity 
amongst people to actually fight against this. Unity. How important is unity? <laughs> There's more of us than them, and they know that. And one of the most effective tactics is to divide us, because then they can conquer. Well, I am with you on the optimism, because I recognize that we are the majority. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Perhaps the most critical philosophical observation made by Dr. Zelenko related to the frightening reality that the elite behind Agenda 21 do not value life. Many people believe that the quote-unquote sanctity of life is strictly a religious point of view, but the religious aren't alone from sharing this value. Ayn Rand, well known as an atheist, made it clear that quote, it is only the concept of life that makes the concept of value possible. It is only to a living entity that things can be good or evil, end quote. It's as simple as that. The good is that which sustains and enables life. Evil is that which harms or destroys life. And I imagine that many of us have pondered some version of Dr. Zelenko's question, but why is the individual human, being capable of consciousness and free choice, not seeing reality? Well, he, of course, already knew the answer to his question. It is the consequence of several generations of demoralizing society. And he pointed out how we don't teach people how to think. We indoctrinate a robotic ability to follow. And I can tell you from personal experience, having broadcast this show for years from the campus of the University of Western Ontario, that thinking was strongly frowned upon, which is a natural response from people who only see themselves as part of a collective. Remember, thinking is an individual activity. A group as such is incapable of thinking. And if you think that this anti-thinking philosophy is just some minor and non-essential issue within the broader Agenda 21 agenda, well, think again. Here again is Lord Moncton to explain. It's all part of the same nexus. Global warming is, is the one they had hoped would be the mainspring that would achieve it all for them. Then the likes of me came along and said, uh, excuse me, but uh, the emperor has no clothes. This doesn't add up. And they found that it only took a few of us to bring the whole bandwagon to a halt. And so it's all part of the same process. They just need always an excuse to shut down the West, yes. to reduce us back to the level of, of, of uh, primitive savagery. And why don't I like this? The main reason, I think, is that they're attacking the use of reason itself. Anyone who reads the attacks on me will think two things. One what a rotter he is, and in that they might not be so far wrong. But they would also perhaps feel that the scientific attacks on me are staggering by their intellectual dishonesty. And this is a curious feature because they don't want the use of reason to prevail. If people can think for themselves, they'll start wanting to vote for themselves. So if you can stop them thinking for themselves, then the battle for dictatorship is essentially won. Now, the, the use of reason is one of the three great powers of the soul in Christian thought, along with the, the memory and the will. And the use of reason is the central power in Christian theology. And it is in our soul, which is composed of these three powers, the memory, the understanding, and the will, that 
Our distance from the rest of the visible creation is most clearly visible. That's what makes us human, if you like. But that's also what makes us design, because in that, our closeness to our creator is made most visible. And that is what Agenda 21 and all the related movements such as global warming want to take away. They want us to stop thinking and stop reasoning. And I'm against that. Kind of helps explain why Christians in particular are being so targeted by the COVID fanatics, doesn't it? Now, of course, at the time of his presentation in 2012, Lord Monckton could not have possibly been aware of our COVID-19 crisis, though I'm sure he could have predicted something like it at the time. You know, like he said, they just need always an excuse to shut down the West. Just anything will do. And they're actually planning to try climate change again, which, by the way, is a perpetual crisis, unlike just global warming, which could only be claimed to be happening if you had a steady period of globally warming temperatures, which didn't happen. Climate change, of course, covers all the bases. Warming and cooling, two things that are guaranteed to keep happening, and therefore serve as a perfect crisis for the wacko elite to use as a weapon against us. But right now, COVID is serving that cause. And as more and more knowledgeable people come forward to bring the COVID bandwagon to a halt, it too will have to be amended as an effective crisis for manipulation. Our next bumper break features a few outtakes from a widely circulating presentation given by Dr. Peter McCullough to the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons on October 4th. Let's win the war against therapeutic nihilism and let's talk about this rush uh, to replace trusted treatments with untrusted novel therapies. I have chaired data safety monitoring boards now for over two dozen different therapeutic products. I've been involved, I think, in about 18 products coming to market. I know data and I know safety, and the FDA knows I know safety. In fact, I've chaired data safety monitoring boards for the National Institutes of Health and Big Pharma. And I have made some critical calls as a chairman of Day Safety Monitoring Board to shut down a program when it wasn't safe. And I can tell you that threshold is a few cases where we can't explain it. A few cases, okay? We get to five unexplained cases, we start to get very, very uncomfortable Day Safety Monitoring Board. We get to 50 unexplained death in a, a release of a product, it's gone. It's gone, we shut it down and we figure out what went wrong for new biologic pr products demand safety, safety, safety. It's unassailable. It's unassailable. If you get up in front of a group of your peers and say, I am concerned about safety, it's an unassailable position. It's a moral and ethical position of a higher level than those who are going to plod forward. It was taken in the 1976 swine flu pandemic. 25 deaths, 550 cases of Guillain-Barre syndrome, the comfort level was gone. We had vaccinated 25% of our 220 million people in the United States, and that was it. The concern for safety was too great. The deaths escalated after stopping the program up to 53. This was the standard and still should be the standard today. This is what we're doing to the human body with these vaccines. It is unprecedented that this is being done it's also unprecedented that millions of Americans, more than half of us, have volunteered to take the injection without asking too much about how it works. People in my family did. They did it patriotically. They were asked unquestionably to take the vaccine, and it didn't matter which one. It didn't matter which one. 
But this idea was that the vaccine was the only way that we were gonna, gonna get out of this pandemic. It, it alarmed all of us. By May, this paper, 57 authors, 17 countries, Bruno and colleagues, I'm in the author block, basically said, listen, if we don't have safety mechanisms in place for the vaccine programs, shut them down. We have had an overdue report card from our federal agencies. My perspective on this as a doctor and a citizen is monthly reports. Monthly reports. I want these staffers up on the stage. Monthly, show us the data. Show us the data. Monthly reports. Month after month, nothing. Nothing. Just these uh, uh, um, billboards, needle in every arm. Just take the shot. Just take the shot. Vaccine hesitancy. I don't care about that. I want safety. Safety. Demand it. Listen, there's safety inspections on the roof over your head right now. There's safety inspections of, of the airplane you're going to fly on later on today. What? No safety inspections of a novel biologic a therapy that's injected to each one of us, no safety reports. Well, as of January 22nd, we had a problem. We had a big problem. We had 182 deaths. The expected number of deaths, all vaccines combined, 158 per year, 278 million shots per year in the United States. 182, we were over the line. And if we had a data safety monitoring board, this program would have been shut down in February for excess mortality, and it would have been reviewed. We only had 27 million people vaccinated in the United States. Only 27 million. What happened? Nothing. No safety review. That's malfeasance. Malfeasance is wrongdoing by those in position of authority, and that's what happened. It's the disability that we are going to see due to these vaccines will go down in history as an unbelievable atrocity. I made a presentation uh, to the um, uh, to the Heritage Foundation in Washington that provides a lot of oversight uh, to the House and the Senate, as well as the agencies. And I made this presentation. You could hear a pin drop when I was done, pin drop. And finally, one of the former presidents of the American Medical Association said, Dr. McCullough, we have the biggest biological catastrophe on our hands in human history with a medicinal product, and we've had two administrations buy into it We've had two, all the houses of legislation buy into it. We have the entire medical established buy into it, and the whole media, and no one knows how to stop it. No one knows how to stop this freight train, and we're all witnessing it right now. Now, Jessica Rose, in her first paper, showed that the non-fatal um, reactions tend to be um, cardiac, cardi uh, cardiovascular, neurologic, and immunologic. They tend to occur quickly after the shot. Again, a tight temporal relationship. And with Rose, she's a, a really a tight, tight uh, epidemiologist, but virologist. She's made the case that we've completely fulfilled the Bradford Hill criteria for causality. We have a dangerous mechanism of action. We have a tight temporal relationship. We have internal consistency between death and the non-fatal um, events. We have external consistency because this is seen in the MHRA system, the yellow card system, and in the UDRA, UA, the EMA system. We've basically got it. We have fulfilled Hill's tenets of causality. The vaccine is causing these events. We are in a free fall of a lawless state. A lawless state is developing the Office of Human Research Protections and the US FDA right now and enforcing research protections for subjects. Everybody who takes a, who takes a vaccine in the United States is in research. The fact that, that there's absolutely no protections for research subjects and we have no enforcement of pharmaceutical laws is putting us into complete freefall. The vaccines are not safe for human use on either side of the Atlantic 
and the evidence-based consulting group in the UK agrees. Dr. Tess Lowry, who leads that group, that's the principal contract consulting group for the World Health Organization, has concluded an immediate halt to the vaccine program is required whilst a full and independent safety analysis is undertaken to figure out what has gone wrong with these vaccines. I'm telling you, it's clear across the world that this first generation of vaccines is not safe. I could do this whole talk just from the CDC website, by the way. Barnstable County, Massachusetts, this was mentioned previously, two-thirds in congregate settings who get sick with Delta are fully vaccinated. Americans ought to look at this curve over and over and over again and understand, in fact, it was about this time our CDC director got on there and said, you know what, the vaccines really can't stop transmission. The vaccines can't stop a vaccinated person from getting the infection. The vaccines can't stop a, a vaccinated person from giving the infection to someone else. Okay. Now listen, on one sad day this summer, I want to say 20 media people and different officials in the United States had an identical talking point that 99% of people in the hospital were unvaccinated. Okay. Really? Really, how do the hospitals know who's vaccinated? How do they know? Do they check their vaccine cards? Are they checking first dose? Are they checking second dose? How do they really know? The answer is they don't know because the CDC has told them they don't have any mechanism to know. This 99% was again a propagandized false talking point that was put out by those in position of authority. False talking point, the data are not there for this 99, it's never been 99%. We knew from analyses by Brown and colleagues from Waterloo, Canada, that the absolute risk reductions from the vaccines were less than 1% from clinical trials. When, we, when the absolute risk reductions are less than 1%, it is impossible for a therapy to influence a population level number like an epidemic curve. Impossible, and what Brown predicted was correct. The vaccines have had zero impact on the epidemic curve. These vaccines were not going to be a solution to, to flattening these curves. And it's one time I was on Laura Ingram. She goes, Dr. McCullough, isn't this a more deadly virus? I said, what determines whether that's deadly or not is whether or not someone got treatment. We have data showing that their treatments markedly reduce mortality. So it's not the virus that dictates mortality. It's how we respond to it. And fortunately, the early treatment networks, you just heard a state-of-the-art lecture from Dr. Rob, that we, there's a lot of things now that are done to take an edge off the intensity uh, and severity and duration of symptoms. That translates to reductions in hospitalizations and death. But by pushing mass vaccination, governments have created evolutionary pressures on SARS-CoV-2. And people warned us about this. Geert van der Bosch, Michael Yaden, um, uh, Sukhut Bakhtari, uh, uh, Dr. Luc Montier, they warned us about this. Don't do this. Don't vaccinate into a pandemic because we have a high prevalence of virus. I mean, they warned us on this. They said the virus is going to figure out these vaccines and the virus will find a way. We've always had a diversity of viral strains uh, in COVID-19, by the way. Delta has always been there. So has Alpha, Beta. They've always been there. So we have diversity, just like we have diversity in the room here. Everyone looks a little different. The ge ge genetic diversity is what we're supposed to have. What Neeson and colleagues from the Mayo Clinic showed us, as soon as we started vaccinating, we got to 25% vaccination, the diversity started to drop, that the number of different strains that the CDC was categorizing every two weeks started to plummet because we were starting to fool with Mother Nature, and we shouldn't do that. If we start to 
introduce a non-lethal, non-sterilizing evolutionary pressure. It makes perfect sense that the virus will figure out how to thrive in the vaccinated. If we don't act now, what people say is we are going to be like Australia. Australia has very little COVID. On most days, they have, more COVID, they have more vaccine deaths than COVID deaths. There's something wrong going on in Australia big time. And South Africa is next in line. Europe is next in line. It's a very disturbing place right now. We get these distress calls. Probably half my emails from Australia. I've been there a bunch of times. It's a wonderful place. Melbourne's like San Diego. have absolutely no problems with it. It's very American-like. But something is going on in Australia, and they're at the point where they are at a breaking point. They have restricted their freedoms. It can't be about COVID at this stage. What's going on about in Australia is not about COVID. It's about some type of mental uh, contagion. It's about some type of psychosis, some type of neurosis, some type of totalitarian takeover that's occurred all over the world. Something very dark is going on. And a lot of it is in this book, COVID-19, The Global Predators, We Are the Prey. It was previously highlighted here. Peter Bregan, Ginger Bregan. I was honored to write one of the uh, introductions on this. What's going on in the world actually is not really about COVID. COVID is a platform, an event that's been planned, it's been organized, the vaccines were planned and organized in some way to effect some type of very, very large change occurring worldwide. Clearly, Dr. McCullough is quite aware of an agenda that supersedes the COVID pandemic, as was Dr. Zev Zelenko earlier on. So to address the frustration I cited at the beginning of the show, you know, about the repetitious messages coming from the good doctors who are still working to get the medical truth out about COVID-19 and dealing with case counts, variants, and the like, I suppose I have to accept the fact that these doctors aren't out to save the world from Agenda 21 and everything it implies. They have patients to deal with and conditions related to both coronavirus and the vaccines that need to be understood, irrespective of the fascist pandemic. They've got their own agendas. And because there are still so many people utterly in the dark about COVID-19, let alone Agenda 21, and that includes a lot of doctors, the information war has to continue on all fronts, from the medical to the political and to the moral. Moral judgment, by the way, is the best weapon to use against those to whom facts don't matter. And when it comes to climate change and COVID propaganda, man, facts are nowhere to be seen. It's remarkable how those supposedly unconcerned with morality suddenly become concerned with it when it's being directed at them. Remember, they are constantly casting moral judgments upon the rest of us, the morality of a collective altruism which is immoral to its root because it must, when put into practice, become anti-life. But always remember, in passing moral judgment, one must be prepared to be judged and to defend one's values accordingly. And that's exactly what we'll be doing again next week when you are invited to join us as we continue our journey in the right direction. And until then... Be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Hello, Dad.
I believe the Prime Minister wants to see me. Yes, Humphrey. What's his problem? Education. Well, it's a bit late to do anything about that now. <laughs> no, no, the education system. I see. Well, it's a bit late to do anything about that either. <laughs> well, he thinks he's going to lose in the next election. Well, worse things could befall the nation. <laughs> he can't ignore facts. If he can't ignore facts, he's got no business being a politician. 